call a prophecy. This is a foretelling of future events, but prophecy is history in advance. So prophecy is telling before what happens what is actually going to happen. And really what prophecy is, it's a reminder that history is truly his story. You get that, right? That's why you call it history. It's his story. It's the story of God in the midst of humanity. God isn't some far-off, uncaring watcher who looks down on us from on high. Actually, it's quite the opposite. He's deeply invested in this world because he loves all of us so much. Today, Pastor Daniel explains that history is truly his story. It's the story of God in the midst of humanity, in the lives of people. And the book of Daniel shows you that prophecy is really history in advance. It's God telling his story before it happens. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Daniel chapter 2 as he continues his message, History in Advance. See, in some ways, Nebuchadnezzar's desire to understand what he just received is actually to his glory. See, what this means is that what God desires, God sometimes will show us something small, but he wants us to seek it out. Why? Because God knows that in the seeking of understanding, our relationship grows. Do you realize that? It's like a relationship grows based on the pursuit of a relationship. Like you think about when you first maybe fell in love for those of you who are here married and all of a sudden you check that person out and you're like hello you know and then the whole pursuit thing begins and the relationship grows based on the pursuit and I, I love hearing those stories I just heard one of these recently where a guy noticed this gal and she wasn't having anything to do with him but he would not be denied you know and she's like yeah I didn't like him at all and he's like no she didn't but I want her over, over time, you know? But the thing is, is that pursuit is essential for the deepening of a relationship. And I think there's some of you here right now that God has shown you some things and you don't understand them, but you're just kind of frustrated you don't have the answer rather than seeing that God wants you to pursue. Like, God wants you to pursue a depth in relationship with him. I think that's why sometimes, you know, there's one scholar who I read who said that God works in manifestation and hiddenness. That there are times when God reveals himself to us, and there are other times when God hides so that we'll seek. And oftentimes, I think what we do is because we live in a more passive culture, when God hides, we sit down rather than seeking. But you realize that God hides so that we would seek. Because God wants us to grow in that relationship. So I think that for some of you here today, God is waiting for you to engage. He's hiding right now so that you would seek. And I think that there's probably a lot of you in that moment where you're saying, Oh, well, if God's going to not talk, then forget it. 
and you're really missing out on what God is doing. See, God wants that pursuit. I mean, think about what that verse I read you in Proverbs 25. It's the glory of God to conceal the matter. God is glorified by not telling us the whole story. And it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. So a wise person seeks after understanding in the ways of God. Even if God isn't showing all of his cards, a wise person seeks after it. Now, about this multi-metallic image, before we see Daniel's interpretation of it, I think the thing you need to realize first is that the progression of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and then iron mixed with clay. Quite simply, the metals become less valuable as you go from top to bottom, right? Gold is more valuable than silver. Silver is more valuable than bronze. Bronze is more valuable than iron. And obviously, iron is more valuable than iron mixed with clay. Because as iron and clay, do they bind together? No. Everyone knows that, right? If you want to build a house, you want to build it with iron mixed with clay, your house is going to fall down. Right? You build it with iron, you're going to be fine. Iron mixed with clay, it's not going to work. So, so the metals decrease in value. But what's interesting is, although they decrease in value, they increase in strength. Gold is not as strong as silver, which is not as strong as bronze, which is not as strong as iron. That's why people still, you can build a house made of gold, but you shouldn't. Why? Because of the weight of it, it becomes a little bit more brittle. So although it decreases in value, it increases in strength. Now, I put that out there because when Daniel gives the interpretation, we're going to learn something about these different metals and what they represent. And we're going to see how, in one sense, they decrease in value, and in another sense, they increase in strength. So in order to get into that, we're going to see this interpretation picking up in verse 36. And I have to tell you, the first time I studied this and I learned this, this blew my mind. Like, this like literally like was like... Like, like I was not prepared for this as a seeker reading this and reading some commentary about it. I was literally blown away. So look at what it says. Verse 36, this is the dream, and now we will tell you the interpretation of it before the king. You, O king, are a king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory, And wherever the children of men dwell, or the beasts of the fields, and the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you a ruler over them all. You are this head of gold. But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth, and the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. Verse 41, whereas you saw the feet and toes partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw iron mixed with ceramic clay, they will mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume 
all these kingdoms and it shall stand forever. Verse 45, inasmuch as you saw that the stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will come to pass after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. Wow. My friends, here's what you need to realize. Prophecy is history in advance. Prophecy is history in advance. See, this is what you would call a prophecy. This is a foretelling of future events. But prophecy is history in advance. So prophecy is telling before what happens what is actually going to happen. And really what prophecy is, it's a reminder that history is truly his story. You get that, right? That's why you call it history. It's his story. It's the story of God in the midst of humanity. God tells this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he gives you, how many of you took world history in high school? Raise your hands. Everybody did. How many of you remember anything from it? One of you. God bless you for paying attention. All the rest of us forgot it. What's funny is, is the interpretation of this prophecy given to this king is literally, if you were to go back and look at a world history textbook, from the time of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon all the way to the present day, it tells it in advance. This is how it's going to go. We look at it now as world history, but for Nebuchadnezzar, it's like, let me tell you what's going to happen before it happens. And the reason God does, let me read this to you. Isaiah chapter 44, verses 6 to 8, very powerful. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me, since I appointed the ancient people. And the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear, do not be afraid. Have I not told you from that time and declared it? You are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? Indeed, there is no other rock I know, not one. See what God's saying? He's like, look, I'm the first and last. All of time is in my perpetual now. I'm the first. I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. And then it's powerful because he says, there is no other rock. I read that scripture because there's two things. He's bringing together that as God, he knows the beginning from the end. He knows exactly what's going to go on. And also, who is the rock? He is the rock. Because we see a rock in this prophecy. Now, what does it mean? First, we find out that the head of gold is Nebuchadnezzar. It is the Babylonian Empire. Now, the Babylonian Empire, and I'm going to give you kind of rough numbers. There's, I have so many details, but I realize if I give you guys like a history lesson in five minutes... Just like you heard it in high school, you're going to forget it all five seconds after I say it, right? So I'm not going to give you every detail, although I would love to. But Babylon, that empire ran from about 636 to 539. So just about 100 years. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. It's you and your kingdom. Now, what's interesting is, remember we said it is the head of gold, the most precious. Why would Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom be considered the most precious? Well, simply because Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom was an absolute monarchy, which means Nebuchadnezzar could do whatever he wants, which we're going to see through the book of Daniel. I mean, the fact that he could just kill everybody because he wanted to without any checks and balances, it was an absolute monarchy. Are you saying, so Fusco is the absolute monarchy? 
the best form of government? And the answer is, it is. Is that one freaking out yet? You should be. Do you know how I know the absolute monarchy is the best form of government? Because when God comes back, he's not going to have voters. You know? It's like, there's not going to be like this separation of powers. Like where all of a sudden God's like, okay, I'm going to make the world beautiful. Well, I want to vote on that. And I don't really agree with that. See, God's preferred form of government is an absolute theocracy where God rules and reigns. Now, what we're going to find is that in the midst of fallen humanity, it's the worst form of government because when you have an absolute monarchy with a fallen monarch, everything is a mess. The monarch is blessed. Everyone else is cursed. And we see that all the time. But God's preferred form of government is an absolute monarchy because God has rules and reigns on his own. So from God's economy, the absolute monarchy is the most precious form of government because it is God's preferred form of government. So Nebuchadnezzar, with this total and complete power localized in one person, he's the head of gold. Now, of course, then you move to the chest and the arms of silver. This speaks of the Medo-Persian Empire. The Medo-Persian Empire ran from approximately 539 to about 330 BC, about 200 years. Because you notice what it says in verse 39, it says, but after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. So the Medo-Persian, and we're going to actually see in Daniel chapter 5 and in Daniel chapter 8 that the Medo-Persian Empire is actually named as a succeeding empire to the Babylonians. Now, why is it inferior? Because the Medo-Persian Empire was what you would call a constitutional monarchy, right? So the idea is, is you're going to see as you get to people like Darius and Cyrus, and by the time you get to the book of Esther, Ahasuerus, who was also known as Xerxes, that if he made a law and it was put into law, he couldn't amend the law. So as you go from an absolute monarchy of Babylon, of Nebuchadnezzar, this precious, then it goes to silver because now he's still a monarch, but he's bound by the laws of the day. And he can't annul those laws. So we have this lack of, but the Medo-Persian army was stronger militarily. Remember I said it lessens in the value of the metal, but it gets stronger. The Medo-Persian was strong. And it is interesting that we know him as the Medo-Persian empire because this empire kind of has two sides to it, the Medes and the Persians. So the Medes are the modern day Kurds and northern, the northern area of Iraq and Persians, of course, Iran. Right? So you move from Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, to the Medes and the Persians, what would be the Kurds and now Iran. And then after that, of course, you get another one. And notice what it says in the middle of, what's that, verse 39. He says, a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And of course, the Medo-Persian Empire gave way to the Greek Empire. And the Greek Empire ran from about 330 to about 63 BC. 330, of course, Alexander the Great. So it's interesting. You have the head, one, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Then you have the Medo-Persians. You have these two arms, right? So you have the Medes and the Persians. And then you get to the waist that gives way to legs. Why? Because Greek came in, the Greek Empire. It was singular. But after the death of Alexander the Great, it ended up breaking up into four different groups and ultimately two strong groups, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. Remember that? A little bit, maybe a little bit, some of it. Listen, if you go back and you, nobody has your high school textbooks anymore, unless of course you're in high school. But listen, all this is in the Bible. It's just so powerful. So again, a lesser form of government. Why? Because the Greek empire was what you would call an oligarchy. It was ruled by a council. It was a leader, but it was truly a council ruled. 
It wasn't just one singular leader. This council of people would lead together and they would make decisions. Alexander the Great was the great leader, but everything was decided by council rule. So you have this waist and thighs of course, of the Greek empire. Bronze, stronger. I mean, the Greek empire was one of the strongest known in history. Stronger than the Medes and Persians. Stronger than the Babylonians. But you get, and then of course, you have the next empire, verse 40. The fourth empire shall be as strong as iron in as much as it breaks in pieces and shatters everything. And like iron that crushes, that kingdom will break in pieces and crush all the others. This speaks, of course, of Rome. The Roman empire really came into it, the fullness of its power in 63 BC, right before the time of Jesus. The Roman Empire was known as the strongest military ever. But of course, from a government, it was considered to be a limited democracy or a republic. People came to power by the vote of the people, right? And so from God's economy, from the way God does government, when God rules, the limited democracy is the least like God's preferred form of government. But We prefer that form of government. Why? Because you have checks and balances and we have a say in who rules over us and how they rule over us and all these different things. But it was characterized as iron. Now, don't miss the fact that it's in two legs. And most people would say that this, of course, speaks to the fact of that great split of the Roman Empire between East and West, Rome and Constantinople. So what would be modern day Italy and Turkey? Because you guys remember the song by They Might Be Giants. Istanbul was Constantinople. You don't know what I'm talking about. You go Google that. Those of you who like music, super fun. Things you can learn from music, all sorts of great stuff. So you have these four successive kingdoms. But what's interesting is really this tells about six kingdoms because you move from the legs of iron to the feet, which are iron mixed with clay. Now, people argue whether this is an extension of the fourth kingdom or a different kingdom. What you realize about the Roman Empire is that the Roman Empire was actually never conquered and succeeded by another empire. It kind of just drowned. It kind of just fell in atrophy. And it ends up giving way to England and Spain and France and America and all these different things. And so there's a lot of scholarly conjecture about is the feet mixed with clay something that we're waiting for? A lot of people thought that was the European Union but now people don't know, but we have this fifth empire, which it has the strength of the iron, it retains it, but it's also mixed with clay. These two things that don't adhere together. And then of course you have the sixth kingdom, which is this stone that is cut without hands. And it tells us quite simply that this kingdom is gonna destroy all the other kingdoms. And this kingdom is gonna reign forever. Now, of course, What is the stone that is cut out of the mountain without hands that reigns forever? It's the kingdom of God. So you see, so hundreds of years before Jesus, this pagan king finds out after him is going to come the Medo-Persians, after the Medo-Persians come the Greeks, after the Greeks come the Romans, and at some point, God's going to set up a kingdom that has no end. It's powerful. Listen to 1 Peter 2, verses 4 to 8. It speaks right into this. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures. Behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. He who believes on him 
will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. See, what's powerful is Peter picks up prophecies from Isaiah 28, Psalm 118, and Isaiah 8, and puts it all together and reminds everybody that that rock is Christ. So what you have here is God is saying, look, it's going to go from the Babylonians to the Medo-Persians to the Greeks to the Romans, and at some point, God is going to set up an everlasting kingdom. And that kingdom is going to destroy all other earthly kingdoms. Now, here's the thing. If God was right on the Babylonians to the Medo-Persians to the Greeks to the Romans, then why wouldn't you want to be part of the kingdom of God? I mean, like, if the kingdom of God is going to be the one that takes over and has no end, no limit to it, isn't that the kingdom you want to be a part of? I think so. And I think that's what Jesus is all about. Because look at what happens. Nebuchadnezzar hears all this. And look what it says in verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face, prostrate before Daniel, and commanded that he should present an offering and incense to him. And the king answered Daniel and said, Truly your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal the secret. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts, and he made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief administrator over all the wise men of Babylon. Also, Daniel petitioned the king, and he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel sat in the gate of the king. My friends, faith changes everything. Faith changes everything. See, Daniel had faith that God could reveal to him the secrets that were on Nebuchadnezzar's head, and he did. And now all of a sudden, he shares it with Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar literally fell down and worshipped Daniel, asked that incense. This is a guy who was from a third-rate little country that they had conquered. This makes absolutely no sense, but this great king now is falling down, and he's saying, oh, the God of Daniel is the God of gods and the king of kings. And Daniel, although he was not interested in self-promotion, gets promoted. You see what happens? Faith changes everything, my friends, because Daniel believed in God and wasn't trying to self-promote, and God promoted him. Because now all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar, out of this king's mouth, is a declaration of who God is. Truly, your God is the God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of secrets, since you could reveal this secret. Now notice, Nebuchadnezzar doesn't quite believe it's your God, Daniel. But because of Daniel's faith in God, God promoted Daniel and pushed him forward, let him lead all of Babylon, made him the chief administrator over all the wise men, and Daniel was able to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego along. Jesus is Over and over in Daniel's life, you can see the evidence that faith makes a difference. It can change everything. What you learned in today's study was just one more example of that. Daniel didn't set out to get a better job or prove how smart or capable he was. No, Daniel's goal was to glorify God and point others to him. And he did that by revealing what the Lord had shared with him about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and its meaning. Daniel's aim wasn't self-promotion, but as you learned, God promoted him and his friends along the way. 
Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Hey, everybody. This is Pastor Daniel Fusco from Jesus Is Real Radio. I'm so excited about what Jesus is doing through this ministry to change lives and restore his people. Would you consider partnering with us as we continue to share the message of Jesus here on Jesus Is Real Radio? You can find out more and donate securely online at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel continues in this series in the book of Daniel. You'll revisit the well-known story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. This isn't just a kid story. These men teach us so much about how to stand firm in your faith in life's flashpoint moments. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Friction. That's next time on Jesus Is Real Radio.